Hey, what's up, everybody? You're listening to Cannabis Karaoke, where we ask you to grab the mic and tell your story. Get inside info from today's most interesting cannabis pioneers, and from the first note to the end of the song, listen up as you get to hear the stories of success on Cannabis Karaoke. Welcome back to another episode of Cannabis Karaoke. I'm your host, Danny Keith, and... uh, We've been putting podcasts out every day, talking to thought leaders, talking to people in the space as we go through this this lockdown period, this isolation period. Actually got knocked offline yesterday, didn't have power or internet all day, so I wasn't able to do anything, and all the food that I had bought to stock up on, I was packing ice into my fridge. So hopefully that didn't happen for my guests that I'm about to uh, introduce. Pretty stoked uh, today. We haven't had a chance to really talk to the dispensary experts yet, so I, I went out, reached out, found one. Luckily, I have one in my backyard. Uh, introducing Colin Disharoon. He is the founder and CEO of Santa Cruz Naturals. He's also um, the founder and uh, the leader of a music festival that takes place in Santa Cruz as well called Power of Flower. Definitely a innovator and mover shaker in the space. Welcome to the show, Colin. Thanks a lot, Danny. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, dude. I think you know, it's funny. We uh, we we have an interesting story about how we kind of got together. We we have a bunch of mutual friends, and those mutual friends were like, "You guys are almost identical. You should talk to each other." And then we started talking and took a run at doing some business together. And uh, you know, I think the thing that impresses me the most about you, honestly, and I haven't had a chance to really ever tell you this, is like how involved you are. Not just the fact that you own a dispensary or that you're a proponent of cannabis. But how involved you are with the political scene, um, how you lobby, how you work with people. And, you know, everywhere I go, when I bring up your name, um, people are just so amazed at at how much you do. So I just want to say, start off the interview with saying thank you for all the hard work that you've put in to date. Um, A lot of times that goes unnoticed or unwarranted from people. And I I just want to take the chance to say thank you. And, And the cannabis space in Santa Cruz thanks you, I believe, as well. Danny, thank you so much for that. Those are really kind words, and um, I really appreciate hearing that. And the feeling is mutual about you. I see you at all of the important events, and I know that the the efforts that you've been making throughout the years and bringing cannabis to the forefront, um, bringing bringing people you know people's awareness to all the brands in California that are uh, you know out there and available. Um, you're definitely an innovator and somebody that the industry looks up to as well. And I also just want to mention that, you know, for for cannabis, you know, in this particular day and age, it really does take um, political involvement and act and action and community support to get the, uh, you know, to to have cannabis uh, become more and more of a pronounced part of society. And there are a lot of really really good operators out there that are politically involved and navigating you know efficiently and helping guide our politicians to making the right decisions so i'm not alone in that but thank you for the compliment i appreciate it uh, you're more than welcome and and thank you as well it's always not you know the one thing i do like about this space is that people are willing to kind of give each other accolades and you know prop each other up i think the mentality of we're stronger together is something that is an underlying current in the space and you know, I just want to go back to, you know, you're, you're referencing that, you know, cannabis is political. I mean, Santa Cruz is, is such an interesting monster when it comes to the cannabis space. It's funny. I, when the, when we went legal rec, 
it was like everybody else was exploding with business and Santa Cruz just kind of stayed the same. We were a little bit ahead of the curve. I mean, we had dispensaries before people really were recognizing them as dispensaries and that, that took a lot of guts. And, you know, I ran into you recently at, at our supervisor's uh, election uh, party and you don't just, you're not just politically involved, bro. There's a difference between being politically involved and being politically ingrained. Like you're probably borderline will run for some sort of office down the road because you do know all the main people very well. And it's a lot of conflict when it comes to, you know, especially with our supervisor. No, I'm good friends with him. Um, but he hasn't always been a big proponent of the cannabis, you know, while he'll regulate it and set it up. You have done some things in the space that, I feel like very few people would have had the patience or the follow through to, to actually execute. You want to talk a little bit about how you were able to open a dispensary in an, in the unincorporated area of Santa Cruz and be able to open a dispensary in the unincorporated area of Monterey County. Um, two big, very big wins in my space because everybody else has, has been regulated to the city. What did that process look like? Interesting question. Um, so, you know, if you were to go back 10 years ago and think about the way cannabis was, um, you know, was was buying in a gray area, um, you know, the state gave gave certain rights to cannabis or at least certain privileges to cannabis medical medical cannabis patients that, um, you know, that enabled these uh, private clubs, essentially like speakeasies, private clubs to open. Um, outside of the parameters of of local you know local government permitting processes, so that's essentially what happened in 2010. I found a location that that was completely compliant with the way that the county was proposing their ordinances to allow a permitting process for medical dispensaries, um, and I uh, began the process of of submitting applications and getting ready to open. When the county of, uh, I guess uh, it was Long Beach, the city of Long Beach, got into a lawsuit, um, and the state ended up basically saying, "We're not gonna, um, we're not gonna, they're they're, they're not gonna authorize um, cannabis businesses, and they're not gonna back up the state's or the the local jurisdictions' um, decisions on it." So at that point, county of Santa Cruz just went up. Oh, we're not going to do anything. We we're not going to license. We're not going to permit anything. And those that are already, you know, in the door and open and operating, we're going to essentially grandfather them in. And so that's what happened. Um, my collective got grandfathered in. Um, and that was the status that I was in for the better part of the next, you know, six years. Um, couldn't do any construction, couldn't do make, do any changes. Um, and all the while, the industry um, was evolving. Brands were beginning to emerge. Um, SOPs were being developed. Um, banking practices were starting to get, you know, thought out. Um, corporate structures were beginning to unfold. Um, we were following guidance from uh, the state of California in terms of how collectives were supposed to be operated as nonprofit mutual benefit corporations. And that led to a whole entanglement of legal issues um, because these, uh, you know, cannabis business, rightful cannabis business owners had created these businesses that actually had no ownership structure um, by law. 
And so, you know, that confusion led to, you know, when we started getting towards the legalization time, that led to a huge upheaval across the state and how businesses would be operated. Um, so, you know, I fortunately was able to, you know, to work with the right people and, and find the, the right legal advising and stuff to, um, to make it through the eye of that needle. Um, but, um, you know, throughout that process, I was watching Monterey County, which was a totally like wild west, um, maybe not wild west. It was a, it was, it was a completely conservative, closed off anti-cannabis community. Um, and it was like, you know, in my mind, getting something open in Monterey County was, uh, you know, was like the pinnacle of wh what my career would have been. Um, and it was interesting because Monterey County was really the one that flipped the switch in terms of allowing large cannabis agriculture and subsequently dispensaries. Um, so, you know, needless to say, it took three years of hard work from the point that I made contact with, um, you know, with somebody who had a piece of real estate with a, you know, that could be zoned for retail to the point where I actually opened um, the second location just outside of the city limits of Watsonville. Like literally <clears throat> you crossed the bridge. <laughs> yeah. You could literally stand across you know, in Watsonville and throw a rock and hit the building. It's one of those rare border opportunities where you're, and, and, you know, I, I want to also say that there's a little something different that you're not giving your, I, I feel like maybe you're glazing over. And so I'm going to go ahead and point it out, which is you not only do um, navigate Santa Cruz, which people consider like, Oh, you know, so much good weed in Santa Cruz. And, and it's true. Like we definitely are spoiled. Like we get good waves. We also get good weed. Like we kind of got the best of everything here, but, but at the end of the day, it was, you were swinging hard to, to get your store where it's at right now. And it's not just like, you could have just thrown open a store. Let's, let's be honest without naming names. There's some pretty scuzzy looking stores out there. Right. And you, <laughs> Your stores have always been from the minute I went in there and you've gone through multiple iterations of layout and look and whatever, but you are constantly improving. It's a, your stores when you walk in, they're very welcoming. Um, you really are following the guidelines of customer experience. You know, some of these places I walk, I go in before this, the coronavirus hit, I was probably in 30 to 40 dispensaries a week. And, um, you know, you walk in and there's the no guns and the, you know, anti-knife and all these like negative things that make, I don't want to say normal people, but people that aren't weed heads, like a little bit skittish to go into. And, and I really see you having put forth the effort both in both locations. Um, you have a look and feel, you have an atmosphere, you have a culture with your people, um, the, the, you know, amount of time that I got to spend working with them all professional, um, you really are doing things the right way. And I feel the best way. And I think that if, you know, that is definitely something that sets you aside from all the competitors. I mean, you, you know, you obviously have what there's 14 doors in Santa Cruz County at the moment, 13, 14, um, 13. Yeah, thirteen licenses in this in the unincorporated county, and another four or five in the city. And and I go in all of them, you know. And uh, I have to say, like, again, when people when your name gets brought up or your story gets brought up, nine times out of ten, like people are like, 
yeah, solid store. Good look. Even with the brands. I mean, I work with a ton of brands and they all want to be in your store. And that's, that's something that's not easy going into LA, man. I see a lot of shitty spots, lots, and they're busy, you know? Um, but they're not really focused on that experience. What made you decide you could have just thrown open the doors and sold weed, right? Like everybody else is doing. What made you pay so much attention to detail like you have? What, what about you is like that drives that part of it? That's a, that's a really great question. Um, so a little bit about my background. Um, I have a college degree in park and wildland management. So I spent um, the better part of a decade working with, um, with school groups, working with parks, working with government agencies. Um, so, you know, a big part of my background um, had to do with, with law enforcement and curriculum writing and design. Um, and then later on in my career, I was working in um, you know, adventure tourism and uh, organizational team building development, where I was actually working with high ropes courses and zip line tours a lot. So all of those various things led me to, to have to have an acute attention to detail, um, to ensure safety, ensure um, you know, quality experience, um, because that was my career. Um, when I really started seeing the medical cannabis um, opportunities uh, start coming to light, um, I had to, you know, I saw some dispensaries opening that I thought were just awful, horrible operators. Like I could just see the way that they were doing business, the way the practices were behind the scenes. And that made me realize like, these guys are being, these guys are really like successful right now and they're running really not good business practices. Why, why can't I do this? This seems like a more logical thing for me. You know, it's, it'll be safer for me than hanging 200 feet off the ground on a, you know, on a high ropes course zipline tour. Um, you know, maybe I should start looking at this. So excuse me that was like that was probably the biggest thing that led me to to start um focusing on designing the company and a model that really represented my ethos you know environmental awareness um safe practices um you know good pricing uh authentic you know cannabis um <clears throat> organic certification programs you know all of those things kind of led me to you know, to creating Santa Cruz Naturals. I saw you just did a press release, or um, I shouldn't say you did a press release, but Sprout did a press release, right? You guys just did something yeah. together to work on the uh, clean cannabis. And um, you've kind of, you know, you aren't kidding when you're detail-oriented. We happen to uh, coexist in a group on Facebook. Where it's a cannabis group. And Carl uh, Sailing, like, was ripping distributors for not having – a proper kind of COVID preparedness uh, plan in place. And boom, dude, here comes calling down the pipe. It's like, here's my process. And you just detailed it out all the way down. And, and, you know, I think that's something that those are the things that, you know, are not spoken about enough um, because usually it's no offense. It's boring, you know, process and, and stuff is not the exciting part of a business, but it's that underlying kind of, foundation that allows the customers to attach themselves to it and 
stay loyal to a specific place um, and not want to veer away. You know, all those other places that, you know, for the longest time, and I know you probably agree with this, you know, if you had cannabis and you had a door and you were able to throw it open, you were selling it. And, you know, so therefore marketing, attention to detail, cleanliness, process, how you treat your employees, your culture, none of that really mattered because you were, you know, from all looks and feels, making money hand over fist. When in reality, all you're doing is playing a short term game. By the time somebody else catches up and does it better than you, um, you know, you're you're now chasing that game instead of leading it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I. When I made the decision to to really start putting my efforts, you know, fully into developing a cannabis business, that was a that was a conscious decision that I I'm going to change my path right now because I know that I can I can see it I can feel it I am sensing it all around me. Cannabis is about to change and it's not going away, and this is going to be the next path for. Um, you know, for society to actually embrace a new legal substance. Um, so Thank yeah, God. That, Thank God. Finally. Yeah. Right? Finally. So yeah, finally, and it's still not there. You know, no, it's um, still tons of problems. I mean, right now we're dealing with, and I don't want to. It's such been beat to death, but like taxation and regulation and metric and you know it'd be one thing if the state actually had its shit together most of the time when they rolled these things out but they don't and then there's these holes in the process that make it interpretive and then people interpret them different ways and then it's just it you know i'm sure you get the same thing oh you're in cannabis man you must just be killing it you're all dude but the only thing i'm killing is the color of my hair or if i'm losing it and or like my family because I'm working so many hours that I never get to see them. Um, you yeah. uh, you're a little bit ahead of the curve on another area, and I'm sure you know with this whole coronavirus and COVID, you know you are one of the few delivery uh, companies right in Santa Cruz right now with your S dash. Um, how have you seen that benefit you as you're going through this process right now with the coronavirus and at least dispensaries have been deemed essential business because cannabis is medicine. So thank goodness our public officials saw that had the foresight to realize that, that we needed you guys. If they're going to leave liquor stores open, they can definitely leave cannabis clubs open. Have you seen an yeah. uptick in people using your delivery service? Um, oh yeah. So, oh, yeah. so talk and, a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, first of all, the, the delivery service has been something, you know, I've seen most of, most of my, what I would call competitors, even though a lot of us are, are actually good friends. Um, I, I, have seen most of my competitors launch delivery services, maintain them for a little bit and then pull, pull the plug because they just, you know, to date, they're just not worth it. They, um, you know, competing against a, an unregulated market of delivery services has been, um, you know, been a huge challenge. And, you know, up until now, um, the delivery service has really been a very, very minuscule part of our overall, um, you know, overall revenue. Um, so, but with the, um, you know, this emergence of the new era of virus, you know, awareness, um, I have, we have definitely seen the delivery service pick up, um, you know, triple fold and, um, we're, 
you know, considering now onboarding other vehicles and expanding that um, as a part of the business model, um, because there is really no certainty on how long this is going to last. Um, we're seeing, you know, trends changing in different, you know, parts of the world where the virus is now, you know, appearing to be under control. Um, but, you know, the U.S. is a very large nation, and we are not a society of people that likes to be told what to do. Um, and that may be our own demise um, when it comes to, you know, the longevity of, uh, of this disease. So, um, you know, delivery services uh, may be a way to, um, to help get products to people that need them without having um, people have to expose themselves to the outside world. Do you think, uh, let me ask another question. I was going to go down one tangent, but I want to pivot for a second. Do you see, you know, cause it's all the rage right now, right? It's on the news. Oh my God, cannabis business is going off. We're up, you know, you're seeing reports on Forbes and all these other places. Do you see, um, because we are like literally day five of our supposed shelter in place. I personally have been under like my own self quarantine since Monday of last week, just cause I've got asthma and I'm not trying to play with this thing yep. if I can avoid it. And, uh, yep. but do you see the supply chain component breaking down? Like right now you're killing it, but are you running out of product yet? Is product is availability still there? Are people still manufacturing? Like, do you see that? getting impacted here in the near future? There's a potential. Um, you know, we, and, and I would, I would just caution around the term killing it because we, we are, we are, um, we have been busy, especially through the onset of this thing. Um, but you know, people went through a streak of panic buying, you know, just like everybody's done with, you know, alcohol and hand sanitizer and gloves and masks and yada, yada. Toilet paper. Um, Don't forget the toilet paper. Toilet paper, like because you obviously shit yourself when you get this disease to the point where you need three years worth of toilet paper. But carry on. You need three years worth of toilet paper, exactly. Because whenever, whenever um, there's a big problem with this, everybody's brains go to shit too. Yeah. Um, So that's the truth. um, Stock up on toilet paper. No, um, you know, I'm just there's you know after this panic buy has happened. People are definitely slowing down um, uh, because cannabis is still being viewed um, around the majority of the state as an essential business. Um, those operators are continuing to work from what I'm seeing. Um, Governor Newsom's um, you know, shelter in place order last night had a very clear statement within it that said the supply chain must continue. Um, and so I think that's an important, you know, piece of information that the cannabis industry is going to need to hold on to when when they begin feeling the pressure from local governments to have to shut down further, um, that the supply chain must continue. Because if the supply chain does not continue with cannabis, will hit, you know, that critical point where um, products become more and more limited, obviously, and um people start to, you know, turn their direction back to the black market. Um, So, you know, for the time being, I don't see the cannabis supply chain being dramatically impacted. 
but that could always change. You know, you brought up the illegal market. I get in trouble when I say the black market. People criticize Fair me. Enough. Um, the Fair illegal enough. market or the underground market. Uh, the duty, the duty free the, market. The duty free market. You know what's funny is I feel like it's not funny. I, I think what I find interesting is that prior to '64, black market was there, but people weren't really moving packs. People weren't really trying to knock off carts. People weren't really doing that. And then at, slowly as we've experience these regulations and taxations and testing. I mean, running my company, you know, I could literally look at a graph of my revenue and go, oh, testing, phase one, that's what that was. Oh, packaging changes, that's what that was. Oh, phase two testing, that's what that was. Do you feel like inadvertently, while the state of California has tried to do its best to get its arms around a business that I don't think they categorically understood? I think they thought, oh, People are going to sell some weed, maybe some joints, like and the whole thing exploded and there's 9,000 categories of cannabis now. Um, do you think that, I think, but I want your opinion, do you think <laughs> that we are seeing a, a, a push towards that illegal market? I mean, I feel like more and more people now we've gotten, you know, we went, we went medicinally, then we went recreationally, then we hooked a bunch of people, then a bunch of people met the people that were that were growing weed or making whatever they're doing. And then they're like, well, why don't I just buy directly from them? Do you think that we've created a customer now that is searching out the illegal market because of all this taxation? Uh, my sense. And, and, you know, it's, it's hard for me to say because my focus is primarily on my customer base. Right. So I'm not looking at them. You know, I'm not trying to, to look outside and, and see who's going to the black market or not. It's just out of my focus. Uh, or, I'm sorry, the duty-free market. Hmm. Um, I, I I actually don't believe that that is the case. Um, I, I think that the approach from the beginning um, of this process has um, – it was, it was faulty. It was, a, it was the wrong approach. They came at it with too great of regulation and too high of taxation right out of the gates. Um, and that doesn't lead an illicit industry to come under the, you know, the guides, the guidance of regulation. Um, we saw that back in, you know, the early 1900s or I guess, yeah, 1920s during alcohol prohibition. Um they brought alcohol out of prohibition by saying, we're not going to tax you. You can come out and, and you get under our regulations and we're not going to get, we're not going to tax you for the first you know couple of years until you get established. Um, and then those that refused to go under it had a, had a stronger, you know, a stronger um, enforcement approach. Um, that is not the approach that California has taken. And I think that is probably the biggest, um, reason why it's been such a you know one of many reasons why it's been a slow process but do you think kind of answer yeah yeah no totally because i i just i hear people actually say yeah i used to buy you know i used to go to the shop and then i started talking to the bud tender then the next thing you know the bud tender introduces me to somebody you know there's this normal course of action that you know once people have the confidence in cannabis then buying from somebody on the street is it's not the same as what it was you know, 15 years ago, I think people, I think we've created new customers that are now avoiding trying to do whatever they can to avoid the taxation. 
so yeah, you did answer the question. That's and again, it's a perception mm-hmm. and it's an opinion. Yeah. But uh, you you said something pretty what I feel is impactful, which is you know when we legalized alcohol or when we ended prohibition on alcohol, you know there was a, a grace period by which people didn't have to pay taxes and they were able to come out and establish their business and get like a little almost like an investment from the government, a little head start. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like California because we were so early, dude? We were you know twenty years almost. We were Prop two fifteen and we were you know we were basically doing it before it was really doing it do you feel like the the public officials or regulators or whatever you want to coin them do you think they were sitting back kind of licking their lips thinking oh my god there's so much money in this space that they didn't really realize that when you bring something into regulation and you start to tax it and you start to create process i mean for god's sakes we test cannabis more stringently than we test our own food and we're not even allowed to use the organic labeling because that's a federal trait uh mark so like do you feel like if california could do it over again would they change their ways or what do you see happening i guess in their near future because they're gonna have to do something or it's gonna completely strangle the business you know more than it already is Mm -hmm. so you know california is a tough one for years i referred to california as cannabis and sleeping sleeping dragon you know, it's it's going to emerge. It's going to um, it's going to raise its head in a big way. Um, and, and if we're not ready for it, it will overtake us. Um, and unfortunately, the state uh, took it took it the wrong way, in my opinion. Um, I, I think, you know, it's it's really hard to say, especially given this covid issue. I mean, our economy is on the collapse, you know, on the verge of total collapse right now. Um, I was on a phone call a little earlier today with a, with a human resources attorney out of, uh, you know, the Los Angeles area. And she was telling me that her job right now over the past three days has been closing businesses, businesses that are, that are firing, you know, their entire staff and they're shutting the businesses down, um, which is really scary. And, it's hard to say how the state of California is going to respond to that because the tax revenue that the coffers, you know, the, the state's coffers are now going to be in a big way depleted because they're going to be spending money on keeping people alive. Um, so, you know, my wish, my, my hope, my thought is that the state would wake up, reduce the excise taxes that they're charging, reduce some sales taxes and really put their best foot forward in lobbying to the federal government to change the way cannabis is classified um, so that the 280E, um, you know, IRS 280E code implications can be resolved and that there aren't, you know, banking issues like we have. You know, it's funny you bring Um, that up. A lot of people, a lot of like, you know, most people that, and I'm sure you get the same questions, like, how do I get in? Should it, where should I invest? Like, man, I should have got in earlier, but they all don't understand that we're all operating under that, that cloud of the 280E, which could, oh, yeah. you know, they could just decide to BB gun pick off just about anybody they want to um, make a case, you know, on. And so something that just yeah. isn't talked about um, very often. And, and, and it's one of the premier things that I feel it's one thing to deschedule the plants. Another thing to, to get the, you know, ba- some safe banking. I mean, that's a whole nother problem that we have in the space is that we're, we're leaving too much money outside of the banking process instead of trying to keep it in. 
And, you know, is that is that IRS reclassification? Because technically that was put there during the Jimmy Hoffa days when they that would be how they would get guys was, oh, well, you're allowed to do illegal activities as long as you pay your taxes on them, you know, Mm -hmm. which is so asinine. Mm -hmm. Right. Like as long as you're if you're a mobster, just pay your taxes. And so, like, with that hanging over your head with as you look at COVID as it's coming on the pipe and man, the this virus is, is pretty nasty, but the economical fallout that we're about to experience due to this virus, uh, unless you're a grocery store, a hand sanitizer business or a toilet paper company, um, you're not safe. I mean, it it could take out anybody and it could, there's going to be a massive wealth redistribution. Um, if you look at the market, it's lost all of its earnings. How does, what are you just day to day right now? Like what are your, how do you plan for the future? And, and you know what kind of conversations are you having with your advisors around restricting store hours, letting employees go? I mean, there's just business is hard enough as it is, let alone oh, yeah. throwing this and in, in something into the mix that's just if you want to polarize our comp- our country any more than you possibly could, it's just been done. Yeah. So yes, I'm having conversations with advisors, financial advisors, legal advisors. Um, you know, because the business has, we, we have to stay in business and especially because we are now considered to be an essential service, you know? So, um, that is a, a, a major, you know, thing that I, um, you know, that is, that is coming. We, um, you know, we're looking at ways to incentivize the best employees to continue to grow and succeed with the company right now while we're going through these challenges and at the same time, it's going to become pretty clear the employees that can't hack it with the, you know, the stress, the increased, you know, tension, um, you know, all of the different pressures that COVID is creating for us. Um, <clears throat> this is really, you know, I was reading an article earlier that they're calling, this is a business article, they're calling COVID the black swan of 2020 because it's going to come in and it is going to have a lot of um you know upside in the future but for right now it's like it's going to sharpen the sphere it's going to um you know it's going to it's going to you know unfortunately those businesses that can't hang through this thing are going to are going to be going to the wayside and those businesses that really can hunker down and figure out how to you know bob and weave and maintain their you know their viability through this are going to be the ones that very likely, you know, end up becoming publicly traded companies in the United States in the next, you know, year or something when federal government finally decides to change its tune on cannabis. Yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I I like the term black swan because right now I see tons of opportunity. It's just a, it's just a waiting period at the moment as kind of Mm -hmm. the musical chairs get moved around. Uh, speaking of musical chairs, as if running a dispensary uh, in this day and age wasn't hard enough and being by county wasn't interesting enough, uh, last year you decided to enter the festival scene and you decided to put together a festival called Power Flower, which, by the way, is one of my favorite shirts. I don't know why it makes me look good when I wear it, but it's got great artwork um, and it's a great cause to support. Whenever I wear it, people are like, oh, I went to that and I was dead ass sick during that day. And I was like, I couldn't even barely open my eyes. So I didn't get a chance to, to actually attend, but 
I want to, and I want to, you know, so when you, and again, you know, COVID doesn't really apply to your festival at the moment, except for it maybe pushing out when you would have wanted to do your second one. When you took that on, as if you weren't already politically ingrained, you had to go back up to the plate and take more swings on bringing a cannabis influenced event to the Santa Cruz County Fairgrounds. I don't know even where to start or what question to ask, but I'm just going to turn it over and say, why the fuck did you think that that was a good idea? <laughs> but, um, you know, I think, I think it goes without saying that being involved with, with cannabis, especially when its legality was so gray and bringing it into this, um, you know, into the fold of a business, there has to be a level of crazy that people have to make that happen. <laughs> sure. Um, so I will say that um, I had a I had a good team with me. I've um, you know a, a risk taking team, a hardworking team, um, but it definitely took a bit of crazy to make that a reality. Especially given the fact that we we conceptualized the idea of the music festival literally two and a half months prior to the festival itself. No, it was fast tracked. It was super fast tracked and we developed the, you know, the SOPs, the, you know, the whole production team design layout, as well as secured all three state and local licenses to do it. Um, That was a, you know, it took hard work and and it took political leveraging. I got um, good help from one of our California state assemblymen's office. Um, and, um, they, they were able to really push it forward. Um, but you know, it's, it, that's just, you know, something that spoke to my passion. I'm a musician and, um, I love, you know, the history of music and cannabis and music go hand in hand. And, um, I could see, you know, the opportunity to, um, to fulfill a vision by bringing music and cannabis together on equal footing. Um, and that was what I wanted to do with Power Flower. And that's um, what we did. And really hope we actually were in planning phase right now for just last week for July 11th and 12th at the Santa Cruz Fairgrounds. But given COVID, um, you know, we're in a holding pattern before we keep moving forward this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I had the pleasure of interviewing uh, both David Tran and Adelia Carrillo, both two people that are event-supporting people, either they're production people or they're a ticketing platform, and they just they their entire schedule from now until September has just been decimated. Um, you know, that what people don't get about throwing events is it's one thing to plan one. It's one thing to produce one it's a whole nother thing to actually have one get pulled off and then to have people show up and have it be successful and not have any train wrecks while you're there. So it's like how you measure success on an event is always, and how I look at success on an event is always different than what say the average Joe will look at um, an event and say, Oh, that was a great event or that was a shitty event or they should have done this or should they should have done that. I think what I really liked, first of all, how you took the ground approach um, of incorporating different levels of press and media and you got a, a really professional firm behind you to help kind of market it and, and package it and put it out there. I think that that's number one. I think those are back to your detail oriented step process was something that was evident from the gate. 
but then the the eclectic music that you brought together, why you how you curated the music, um, I, I'm really excited to see um, version two, version three, version four come and roll out as you get more attuned to to how these things work because you know, let's face it, you could be the most experienced festival producer ever. And I work with Emerald Cup every year and every year it's the same, I don't want to say train wreck, but fire, you know, it's, uh, this year I managed a crew of like close to 20 people filming and it still feels like it's the first one. So no matter what you always, no matter how far down the road you get, you're always going to have similar or hiccups, if you will, that, that, that tend to, cause you to feel like you're going over some speed bumps but it's that it's that management of the previous ones that help you get through it and you you came off of a good one the first one and um i was really looking forward to seeing this summer i'm hoping that we can i'm hoping if people just to pay attention stay home reduce contact um and take this thing serious we can all get back to normal life you know we can all get back to you know seeing each other i mean it's it's hard to be stuck in your house and it's day five, bro. And I'm, my lawns have been mowed so many times now and I can't, I'm like about to start building a second story in my house. Cause I'm so completely bored. <laughs> what are you doing while we're in this COVID period of plan for that? And do you kind of go into it planning? Like you're going to pull it off with no denial that you may have to push it out, but there's definitely going to be a power flower 2020. If, if, uh, if the virus allows it. Yeah, if the virus allows it. I mean, that's, um, <laughs> that's that's the reality, right? I mean, the social responsibility is pinnacle in all of this. And, um, you know, I'm even if we say, yes, like, you know, we're going for it, or if, if, if our jurisdictions say, you know, your shelter in place orders are lifted, you can go out and be cautious. You know, if it's within a certain, you know, time frame after that happens, it may not be a socially responsible thing for us to do to say, sure. hey, we're going to have a big, big sesh fest and uh, everybody's, you know, going to be congregated together in the same place, all sharing joints. Um, you know, that may not be the most socially responsible thing that we can do. Um, I, I would know. agree with you. And I think that's... Um that's really what I'm seeing happening right now. I mean, even though we have a lot of shitheads in the world, you know, that, that either are just have a point of view. I don't, you know, I'm fine. If you have a a conflicting point of view with me, just don't beat me over the head with it. Um, and, and I think we're, the underlying thing that comes out, everything, you know, the, ironically, the world has a way of working itself out, you know, yin and yang, if you will. And I see people, good people really coming together and wanting to help one another, Um, and trying to be conscious of what you were just talking about, you know, it's the people that are like the show must go on no matter what, because it's money motivated versus your customer or your experience or your reputation motivated, um, is a big deal. And I think, you know, it's just like us right now, instead of us getting on the phone, trying to figure out how to, how to make money off people. I just want to talk to people and, and have a little therapy for myself little therapy for the person on the phone and, and maybe a little therapy for the listener that's, that's checking this out. Maybe, you know, we always think we're going through things on our own when in reality, if we just take the blinders off for a minute, other people are experiencing similar or sometimes worse situations than we, than we are. I saw you make a post, like be grateful if you have a job right now, because a lot of people are losing their job. And I think as we come out of this, you know, 
this it's an indiscriminate situation it doesn't matter what color what sex what gender what your preferences are uh what your wealth status is like this thing is clearing the table on people and i think the the thing that i want to take away from what we can learn from all this is let's let's try to help each other out as best as we possibly can and let's try to be good people and let's be conscious of our fellow man because realistically that's how we're going to get through this if we decide to go the other way then then be prepared to be locked down until christmas time that's right that's right that's it's you know cannabis has the has the benefit for us all to elevate our consciousness if we um if we choose to to do that and um you know is the time when we really should be elevating and being aware socially and keep our distance and think for the greater good um because that's really what we have to rely on is the the greater good that's going on out there before you um hop off i i want to say one thing and i think that this is a message that i that i really believe needs to be going all the way to the federal government is that california santa cruz county monterey county the greater Bay area san francisco and surely other states to follow are calling cannabis an essential service and that essential service is the same type of essential service as we have with pharmacies with doctors with um with grocers with you know any number of services that people depend on for their to be able to continue to live and that you know that identifying name as an essential service needs to be considered by the federal government because we are one of the few services that are going to continue to support our local governments financially and support jobs and keep people at home and keep them out from bars and helping to um you know really serve society in a better way and that needs to be the forefront of the message in the federal government is it's time to change the policies it's time to decriminalize cannabis it's time to um to give cannabis its rights as businesses and its rights as um you know as citizens and consumers um and be treated like any other you know regulated industry um but we are an essential service and that needs to be the message of the Fed. I 110% agree with you. And, you know, it didn't take but a minute for San Francisco and, and the Upper Bay Area to flip on their decision to close dispensaries and to deem them essential services. And then to your point, I feel like it was like dominoes that fell after that. I feel like every other county and I think other states did look to California for that standard. And And I think you are right. I think that's an underlying message that, that we need to amplify that if we're willing during the time of the worst crisis that we've ever seen in our lifetime, able to deem um, the plant an essential service, then we need to take the steps to make that essential service protected and give it the best opportunity it can to succeed. Indeed. Indeed. So, Hey, as we wrap up, why don't you go ahead and give a couple shout outs and drop your website and your social media handles, and then we'll uh, let you get back to work. Right on. I appreciate it. So people can find us at, um, you know, www.santacruznaturals.org. 
they can check out the Power of Flower Festival at powerofflower.org on Instagram. It's power, it's hashtag Power of Flower. Um, on Instagram, you can find the Santa Cruz Naturals at Believe in a Higher Flower. Um, you can check out our delivery service at stash.com. That's S-D-A-S-H. Uh, actually, it's stashcannabis.com. So check us all out there. And um, hopefully, we'll be launching Power of Flower you know, later this summer, and um, we'll get through this virus, and we'll be a stronger society after it. Man, with with people like you at the helm, I can't think that we would have any better chance. And uh, again, as we close out, it's Colin Disharoon from Santa Cruz Naturals and Power of Flower, and uh, this has been Cannabis Karaoke. You have a good rest of your day, my man, and uh, we'll talk soon. Dude, thank you, Danny, so much. I really appreciate it. You have a great weekend and stay uh, stay six feet away from me at all times. <laughs> all right, my man. <laughs> okay, bye. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to this edition of Cannabis Karaoke, another kick-ass podcast about all things cannabis. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and our website, CannabisKaraoke.tv. And if you or someone you know would like to be on the show, please hit the book your interview button on the right. Cannabis Karaoke. Grab the mic and tell your story. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Cannabis Health Radio is a podcast about stories from people around the world who abused cannabis to deal with serious ailments, many of them life-threatening. My name is Ian Jessup. My co-host, Corey Yelland, is no stranger to the devastating emotional impact faced by so many people receiving a death sentence diagnosis from a doctor. Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, she would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer, such as chronic pain, PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said, your podcast gave me the confidence to save my own life. We regularly get messages from listeners who have heard our podcast and use cannabis to solve a serious health issue of their own or that of a loved one. We hope you listen to these stories and be as inspired and moved as we are with each and every episode.